You're listening to Summer Programming on 3CR Community Radio. Over summer, we'll be here with radical radio, including documentaries, special series, highlights from 2022, and much more. For summer grid details, head to 3cr.org.au forward slash summer specials. Welcome to Commons Conversations, a series of interviews with campaigners sharing their experiences and insights into activism, learning in movements and more. The program is broadcast by Community Radio 3CR and produced by the Commons Social Change Library, a website containing over 1,000 resources for campaigners, which can be accessed for free at commonslibrary.org. In today's program, Commons librarian Holly Hammond chats with Maddie Rose Braddon, who works as a connector and collaborator with people and networks to help them thrive in safer communities impacted by climate change. Maddie is based in Lismore on Widgeable Weable land. The northern New South Wales region has a long history of environmental movements and campaigns for social change, as well as experiments with alternative living and productive practices. As we'll hear, existing skills and networks have been applied to recovering from droughts, bushfires and floods. Maddie reflects on the work they've done during these, the lessons to be drawn from community-led responses, and the role of local grassroots institutions in leading recovery efforts. Welcome, Maddie Rhodes Braddon, to this Commons Conversation. Great to be here with you. Thanks, Holly. So fantastic to be here with you. And um, really just want to acknowledge the work that the Commons Social Change Library get up to. When I was thinking about people would be good to talk to, I was really thinking about how we're so experiencing more and more the impacts of climate change and that some people have been living with them more and more frequently and kind of closer to that impact Um, and that there's a lot to be learnt from that experience and what people have been doing together in community to respond to that. So, you know, really I thought I've got to talk to Maddie Rose Braddon because this is exactly what she's about. I guess I just wanted to ask you, you know, what have you learned from your experiences of flood and drought and bushfires and kind of growing up and living with climate impacts um, in northern New South Wales? That question is a big one for me and I think I've learned a lot. I, one thing to say from the outset is I think it's really shaped who I am and who I'm becoming, just being so connected to place here on Widgeable Wireable country in Lismore. Yeah, really being aware of how much we are connected to the weather, how much we rely on our ecosystems and how much the weather influences us. And it's just, you know, under capitalism and it's easy to forget sometimes where our food comes from or that there's a river just down the road or, you know, what happens when there's more rain or less rain or what happens when we are experiencing, what happens in real time when we're experiencing a changed climate. So I've been involved in climate organising and campaigning probably for the last 11 years since I was like 16, 17 And back then it was like we were thinking about climate impacts as this thing that was going to happen in the future and that future generations were going to have to deal with. I don't think any of us 
like certainly there were people who knew it was already unfolding and we were seeing some of those impacts, but it was sort of seen and felt as this faraway thing. Something that's really struck me and I'm sure many others is just how not far away that is and how it's here now and the the impacts are really playing out. A lot of my lived experience of our changing climate, definitely, you know, the drought when I was younger was already playing out in more severe ways than it has. And we know that the country's like that Australia, as we know it, always goes through extremes. But yeah, so my earliest ex- experiences are of like dry country. And then I guess Lismore is a flood town. Most people who live here understand that. But yeah, 2017, when it first flooded in a really big way, was like a life-changing, transformative experience for me. It was the first time that our levee wall like overtopped, which is really where the disaster occurs for Lismore because that wall that was built in, I think, 2005 was meant to protect the town. And because of our changing climate and increased, you know, more rain and more severe flooding events, that wall just doesn't protect people anymore. And so I guess there's a big backstory about how I kind of was part of organizing and mobilizing with our community using social media, but with our community of really like activists and organizers from the really rich history of um, social movement participants in our community from say like the Bentley blockade and the gas field free communities movement and the protecting our forests and the world heritage rainforest movement as well. And so like that was a really special transformative time. We really helped hundreds of people back then. It was a very different flood to 2022. Yeah, it really like since 2017, I've been a little bit on and off involved in different disaster recovery things, I suppose, and lots of different directions I could go in about that. I guess one thing to say is none of us really thought we were going to have another big flood five years later so soon another one in 100 year style event definitely there's a lot to a lot for us to learn about our ability to adapt and I think Lismore is an amazing example of what the impacts are like around our changing climate also an amazing example of how many different parts of the community self-organized and showed enormous courage and leadership and community-led recovery after such an event. Thanks for sharing that. Just thinking about how you talked about the response to the floods in 2017, that the um, skills that people had from activism and organising transferred to this flood response situation, you know, that people had already had networks in the community, they um, had leadership skills, they kind of knew how to plan and organise and gather resources and all all of those different kinds of skills came together. And I think often we sort of silo those different aspects. You know, we think, okay, campaigning and activism is kind of over here and then community resilience and crisis response is in a different category. But you see them as really connected. Yeah, I think um, it's one of the, I think in terms of my experiences, it's been one of the things that, 
has carried me through in terms of feeling more of like a post-traumatic growth or being able to take stock or see the silver linings of what has happened. It has been about being able to see the experiences through this change-making lens. Yeah, that's not to discount the enormous devastation and, and traumatic aspect of the event. But yeah, in terms of activist skills and organizer skills and change makers, what we see is that the community, people who are already doing this stuff year round, organizing, creating change, addressing issues, whatever that looks like for people, they're just best placed to step up when a crisis occurs because as organizers or change makers, we're already we're already thinking about how can we how can we look at the problems we're facing and how can we respond and be on the front foot about what's happening? When that flood happened, for me, it was my digital organising skills. It was being a young person, knowing how to use Facebook. It was just knowing who the who the different organisers are in my community who were part of Bentley because I'd been there. And listening to elders and having a practice of listening to elders and being in relationship to other activists because that's just what we were already doing fresh off the back of Gasford Free Northern Rivers and other climate um, rallies and efforts in, in the Northern Rivers. So, you know, when the flood happened, naturally I knew I knew to call, um, you know, people like Ellie Bird who were at the forefront of the Bentley um, blockade and the Gasford Free effort and people like Annie Kia and Aidan Ricketts and just several other people who understand what it is to build groups of people and and find out what skills and interests people have and harness those for good and for a purpose that is really practical. I think something that has been really powerful this time in 2022 is just deepening that political and organising understanding in a crisis again, especially having done it back then and understanding what how we did it and it was really successful and there was, you know, widespread recognition of how we self-organised and saved our own community ourselves. And so this time for me I noticed, you know, it was much more catastrophic and we are definitely seeing these compounding disasters now. We've got, we did have the bushfires in the Northern Rivers and we did see people organise in response to that in really amazing ways. We've got resilience networks popping up all over the place, like place-based community resilience initiatives that are led just from the grassroots. But we are seeing these compounding events and it is making it definitely harder to get yourself back into a place as a as a community leader or as a person who's paying attention to the needs of our community it is hard when you get knocked down so many times by different crisis events so that experience of trauma like personally and collectively hey the yeah. layers with each um new crisis definitely but I mean, what I guess something about this one was that the scale of it meant that there needed to be an even bigger scale of organising. And one of the most exciting things that I was able to be a part of, even in small ways, because I actually wasn't at the forefront of this disaster in terms of organising this time, 
And part of that's my own like flood trauma story, but also just learning to move out of the way and make space for new and different and and be really like aware that what we need is actually for everyone to step up and that it was probably okay for me to step back a little bit. And we really witnessed Koori Mail, um, a First Nations-led recovery effort, really emerge out of their own flood impact. They are a newspaper. It's one of the most inspiring, amazing stories ever, and it would take so long to tell it. And maybe I'm not the best person to tell the whole story, but they really showed the way, like Resilient Lismore, which was an effort I helped establish, they still did like we still launched ourselves and did what we did, but there was also room and space for this incredible First Nations-led recovery effort. And, you know, some of the organisers in my community, we understood that we needed to make space for that to really lead. So there were lots of really interesting conversations happening at the time about how we could be alongside each other in a meaningful way in our recovery. You know, for example, some of our volunteers at Resilient Lismore, we got them to write on the sign as soon as we knew that we would be on the ground in the community with a hub. We got one of our volunteers to make sure that we consulted with Koori Mail and wrote their the address to their hub also on, on a sign so that if we were directing volunteers and resources to Resilient Lismore, we also made sure that people understood they could go to Koori Mail and that that would that has a life of its own and that there were these options for community. That was a political act. That was a deliberate act that people, um, that some of us who have organising experience and understand intersectional stuff and, you know, climate justice, some of us were definitely like, in particular, it's something I was really staunch on. I was like, how can we make sure that we don't re-perpetuate colonisation in our community's recovery how can we make sure that we're just making space for all of the emergent responses to this crisis? It's amazing. And I, I guess, you know, we talked before about kind of layers of trauma, but I also hear in there like layers of resilience and learning from each previous experience. So, um, you know, that, that's such an important thing, isn't it, to have like gone through things and learnt things from it that can be passed on but also to keep um, evolving the politics of the response and the, you know, honouring the connections and the relationships that were really important to make it happen. Absolutely. Um, You know, it was definitely a stressful time for relationships in our community. A lot of people, a lot of people who would normally um, be active were more impacted themselves or had more of their own close networks impacted. So it was really tricky, but people did make space to connect and have a cup of tea. And one of the other amazing efforts that occurred on the ground in Lismore was the Trees Not Bombs Cafe. It was so special. It was a bunch of forest organisers from Newcastle. One of them, I think Susie and Greg, I think that's their names. They have a strong link, I guess, a strong sense of solidarity to the Northern Rivers because of our our forest campaigning and organizing experience and so they brought this amazing big blockade tent up to Lismore and just built it built a space with community with their existing relationships from their history of 
being at blockades together and doing forest campaigning and they set up a food relief tent for like four or five months in our library library car park in the center of town and they that was a space that was just full of joy and creativity and people could just come there was so many volunteers there cooking for each other and preparing food and people could just come and sit and there was like choir singing there and it was really a beautiful really one of the most beautiful parts of what happened at the time. That sounds amazing. One thing I'm thinking about is, you know, uh, Naomi Klein's got the book, The Shock Doctrine, and she talks about when crisis happens, um, oftentimes conservative politicians or corporations look for the opportunity in that and jump on it while everyone's still reeling. And so, you know, these times of disaster can be risky times for going backwards in our community but I'm also kind of hearing from you that it can be a catalyst for transformation or a way to center First Nations justice or deepen the understanding in the community around different issues. There was a lot of disaster capitalism and there still is and it happened at small scales and larger scales and I try not to focus too much on that But it is hard when you are looking for those things and you know what they look like. They're definitely, there were lots of arguments about people stealing things, like individuals like looting and doing unfortunate things to try and take money off flood-affected people and, you know, terrible things. But I try and look at the root causes of those things occurring. But one of the, I guess a thing that, emerged a group that emerged to address the disaster capitalism aspect of our community's recovery was a group formed called reclaim our recovery they're having a bit of a break at the moment but they have been um active for a few months and there's several other groups like that that popped up that were about trying to hold local and state government to account for and planning and developers to account for how much they're engaging with the community around big decisions that affect people and just kind of informing and shaping local government decision-making because it's very easy for politics and for vested interests to take advantage of traumatised vulnerable people and a community that's lost a lot and we definitely saw at every scale like big, big groups being hired by the government to come and smash houses down to get the building permissions or to get all the money for rebuilding. A lot of people didn't want their house, like non-consensually getting their walls smashed in without talking to people about what they wanted to keep or how they wanted to approach their rebuild. And, you know, there was widespread community outrage around things like that. One amazing local person, Harper, created this movement called Relocate Our Hardwood Homes and just through the love of their own home and wanting to not waste precious materials, they have started this really big movement which has attracted a lot of political attention around being able to relocate their hardwood timber homes and that's now on the radar and I don't know how they're going to go with that but there's really a lot of examples of that um, where people are just not going to let it go unnoticed in our community. Mm. And the sense that, you know, if if there's a lot of active solidarity, if people are connected, then they're less vulnerable to exploitation or 
it is tricky when the community's already really exhausted though and then they're kind of trying to organize and get political and build resources around and campaigns around what they need we have had some fantastic interest and support and advocacy from outside of the community and for example groups like get up have done listening tours and started just being being on the ground to understand what's happening for people here and thinking about how they as an, as a big organization might amplify the voices and and distill the campaign asks of people in impacted places and you know that's definitely something i'm very passionate and interested about is how can we as the climate movement and the climate movement broadly um how can we start to move in yes we need to mitigate and we need to absolutely stop fossil fuel burning and we need to be doing everything we can to organize around preventing it from getting worse and at the same time i think it's really important for the movement to start thinking about how can we build skills for adaptation and response and recovery to climate disasters now given that they're happening now and there's definitely a few people in the movement a bunch of people really thinking about this now which is exciting
Become a 3CR subscriber today. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 03-9419-8377. Be a part of your community radio station. You're listening to Commons Conversations. And before that announcement, you heard the Trouble Notes version of Destiny Child's song, Survivor. In today's program, Commons librarian Holly Hammond is chatting with Lismore-based connector and collaborator Maddie Rose Braddon about her experiences of grassroots-led recovery from climate change-related disasters. We rejoin the conversation at a point where Maddie discusses the influence of approaches developed by writer, activist and facilitator Adrian Marie Brown. I've caught this a few times you've been talking about what emerged in the community and I know that you are a big fan of Adrian Marie Brown's book Emergent Strategy and (laughs) I'd just really like to hear from you, you know, how has that informed your work? What is it about that approach that you think is so valuable? In terms of the lineage of like the people who have shaped me and who I am now and how I move in community and what my politics are around organising for change, Adrian Marie Brown has really become a force in my life and that part of that was because I came across her book Pleasure Activism and then I also read Emergent Strategy and I have started a book club in Lismore with Emergent Strategy which has been happening this year and it's been really important for me to have a space to talk about the ideas in that book and the ideas that Adrian talks about there is about right relationship to change and that um, I'm not going to get this right, but emergent strategy is about the way we shape and generate change through relatively small interactions, like small and complex interactions. And I think the way that Adrian articulates how you create change for social and environmental and climate justice and racial justice is really inspiring to me she talks about things like she really wants to make the revolution irresistible and it's about how can we integrate joy with justice and how can we radically reimagine our lives and the way that we're being with each other to generate more possibility especially inside of crisis and especially in understanding that we are in the climate crisis and we are under white supremacy and what does that all look like? And she, yeah, really talks about parallels to nature and like mycelium and how we are part of a complex ecosystem. And so just being able to think of myself and my community and the work that I've been doing through the framework of some of those ideas has given me a sort of compass to, with which to act, with with which to organise. So one of my mantras during the flood was joy and justice and right, right relationship to change. And I was thinking about interdependence and how, you know, how can I in, in X, Y or Z moment, how can I generate more possibility out of this and how can I have more fun, you know, while I'm creating events, while I'm being part of material aid and mutual aid for people who have just lost everything. And so one example of that was like putting a fundraiser on with my queer friends called Swamp Thing and we had a party with a purpose where we auctioned off art and We had music and poetry and we were there to raise money for flood-affected queers. Another example is 
kind of emergent strategy related, but doing a webinar with my friends who have previous flood organizing experience. We did an online yarn about finding your purpose in flood recovery. And we made sure that we had fun online in those conversations while we were trying to inspire people to see themselves in their own recovery. But another another really cute example that I like to share is like when I was going from flood relief hub to flood relief hub in Lismore or just from my friend's house to my other friend's house supporting people or trying to figure out what I could do, I would always carry around my boom box with me and just play Mariah Carey between different things that I was up to. And that was definitely inspired by pleasure activism and some of the things that Adrian talks about. So many excellent examples there, Maddie Rose. Um, I really love when you said, you know, while I'm doing this work, holding this question in mind, how can I generate more possibility out of this? Because I think one of the things when we're going through really drastic change, it can be quite a human kind of pull to want certainty and kind of how do we just know what's happening right now, as opposed to it's almost like being nimble in the face of change to be able to respond and kind of go, yeah, how do we go bigger from here? or How do we generate more possibility in this situation rather than kind of resisting change? Totally. And I, you know, there's so many things I could talk about with that. I, I'm absolutely someone who loves certainty, but I also love chaos and part of my love for chaos is just that I've had to deal with it in my childhood and upbringing, but also in my community where we've experienced flood, pandemic, drought, bushfire, catastrophic mega flood. And of course, to acknowledge the ongoing uncertain, like the ongoing crisis of colonization is something I try to bring back into the conversation because we are talking about the climate crisis, but, but, and, um, people on First Nations people here have really been experiencing crisis for a really long time and there's a lot we can learn about that. Yeah, I think something I learned from my mentor Annie Kia with, with her involvement in gas food free Northern Rivers was around the need for flexible adaptive systems and that's also echoed through complexity theory and through emergent strategy with Adrian and I think the times that we're in are really calling for us to for me this is what I've learned is it's more about what principles and values am I carrying through each moment and each experience rather than what outcomes am I specifically attached to or what set of conditions do I specifically need for something I think that if the pandemic and all of these climate disasters are teaching us anything, it's really that, and just the times that we're in, it's really that we cannot cling to certainty. Maybe we never could, but more than ever, it's just not something that's going to be afforded to this generation. And so how do we actually relate to that? So I think all there is to do, I mean, we could fall down in a heap and not cope with it and I and not survive through that but I'm really about survival and really interested in what can we do with that and how can we pay attention to the people and the places and the groups and movements who are tuning into that yeah I think we have a lot of a really really inspiring and amazing examples here in Lismore from Resilient Lismore to Koori Mail to the creative first aid response here after the flood to the 
Northern Rivers Community Healing Hub, Indigenous healing modalities that were set up for everyone and anyone for free to the way that I know the disability community here has also done a lot of work. And I I don't know the specifics, but I know they've been enormously um, active as well. So there's just lots of examples of people generating more possibility inside of really uncertain times. Yeah, really coming through strongly that, you know, certainty is an illusion. And I really love that line. You said, I'm all about survival. And it was funny because when you were talking about the boombox, I had had the thought, oh, wow, Destiny's Child's um, song Survivor would be an awesome pep song. That would be a fantastic song. There's another song and it's like, I've got to get through this. I've got to get, I don't know who sings it, but that was a song that I played a little bit. recently some of us this is a bit of a side tangent it's not so much an organizer thing but it kind of is tropical fruits our annual lgbtqia sb plus Mm. festival which is way more than just a party recently got cancelled and part of that was because of the flood impact that that organization experienced this year and some of us created a new party And it was responding to a crisis, but it was more than a party. It was about really making sure that our queer community had a space to let off some steam, to like reflect on the year and be in community with each other at the end of a really hard year. That was just another amazing example of like creative recovery, I think, was doing that this year. And we played that song is my point. We played that song in the pack up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I don't think it is really a tangent. I think it's really all part of it, isn't it? Like to get to celebrate life and love and, you know, be in connection with others while while times are hard, you know, that's part of what sustains people to keep going. Totally. And I think, I think personally, the queer community in Lismore this year has been really part of my coping and my capacity building and um, my own resilience has really been because I've just been in a space with people who are used to oppression, used to marginalisation and know how to organise really well. Mm. And a lot of, I think it would be remiss of me not to mention that part of my community and my supports because just knowing how to be, knowing how to be ourselves with each other and support each other in mutual aid year round There's lots of different communities that do that. Sex workers and punks and, you know, um, organisers, First Nations people, lots of different people who already experience marginalisation and oppression just really know how to organise in crisis. And if you were to look at the, the people who stepped up, who were really active in our community's recovery to climate crisis, a lot of those people are from those groups and I just really want to honour and uplift those amazing people. Sure thing. It's interesting. I recently interviewed Sarah Shulman, who was very involved in AIDS activism and has written a history of um, ACT UP, the AIDS Coalition to Unleash Power. And one of the things she said um, was what part of the strength was being outside the normative like nuclear family model, having a sense of collective and being together rather than being separated and isolated, recognising the strengths that different communities have because they they aren't kind of fitting within a mainstream way of operating. Yeah, it gives me goosebumps. 
It's really mm-hmm. special. Really powerful. Other thing, I mean, you've talked a little bit about the emotional impacts of these disasters um, and that, you know, uh, and, you know, physical impacts, different full-on flood impacts that people had that meant some people might have been to the fore in an earlier situation and bit to the back in this one and also dealing with flood after flood, you know, and how that impacts on people. Do you have thoughts about how we foster emotional resilience, how we make space for people's feelings, recognising that people are going to need really different things in these times? Yeah, I think um, it's really important to understand that disasters, especially compound disasters and extreme events, just really are impacting us in ways that we don't fully understand yet. And I know there's a lot of research out there and there's a lot of people talking about it, but it hasn't necessarily hit the mainstream yet in terms of level of awareness about that. I think we just need to keep creating spaces and opportunities and groups and different things that are going to work for different people to hold space for their climate grief and to hold space for, (laughs) to be able to work through these impacts. You know, the Northern Rivers Healing Hub in Lismore is an amazing example of a bunch of different organisations led by the Indigenous organisation We Are Lee, where they just have got like body workers in there. They've got food available. They've got yarning circles, different kinds of yarning circles that anyone can come and sit in, be able to talk. And there's heaps of other like official and non and informal mental health services and supports that have sprung up after this flood. But I think, you know, more generally, I think building our capacity in our communities and in our organizing circles to kind of upskill each other around emotional intelligence, upskill each other around what it is like to go through a disaster, what it means, what is needed in that time, what does community care look like, having conversations like that and listening to each other and listening to people who have been through it, that's going to create a ripple effect where more people have more capacity to hold more trauma that we are sadly inevitably going to experience because we are sadly inevitably going to see more devastating climate impacts which just really hurt communities in lots of ways they make us stronger in lots of ways but they do hurt us as well and yeah I just love to see I guess more awareness which will lead to more compassionate responses and um, more capacity for us to cope. So I did notice one of the things you were doing during the recent floods was posting videos, just kind of sharing how you were going and maybe sharing your read on the situation or putting forward, you know, an attitude or, you know, a kind of tone to share with people. And that to me just felt like really vulnerable and authentic leadership, but, you know, open space for people to have emotional responses to what was going on while also staying active and engaged. Thanks, Holly. I really appreciate you noticing that. Um, Sometimes when you put things out there like that, you just wonder, wow, is this, am I just, is this inappropriate? Is anyone going to watch this? Will anyone care? Doing those videos was like a way, a cathartic way of me to process my own emotional response to the disaster which was massive I felt this enormous pressure to step up again I felt just in disbelief and shock 
about what was happening to my community again and I was and it was all layered with the fact that I know about climate change and that we really I really wish that something more would be done about it and we've been wishing that for a long time so there's so many layers of it but yeah I just felt really I feel really compelled to share like that and not always but definitely felt really compelled to do that and I'm just so passionate about mental health and well-being and and breaking down barriers and you know all of us just connecting in ways that are authentic and can help us co-regulate I think I was telling myself what I needed to hear and some people really appreciated that which is nice and yeah and I think it just also points to that people will need different things at different times and what you put out might really resonate with some people and other people maybe at that time they're doing a completely different practice you know that works for them um, totally yeah but having those options there like the, what you were saying before about the kind of healing hub or healing, you know, body workers and all those different contributions that were being provided. Totally. I think like if I could distill what my role was or has been in our flood recovery, it's definitely like focusing on relationships and well-being and trying to normalise people's feelings and responses to stuff and like finding ways for people to feel like they can be involved I was definitely like the soft fluffy edges around organizing different efforts and different things and sometimes that annoyed people people who were more like let's just get in and muck out the house and you know we don't have time to do a circle and a check-in right now about how we're all feeling and we don't have time to do a pronouns round Maddie like no one said that but there was a frustration about this is kind of a bit of a a bit indirectly related to what we were just talking about but it just reminds me of moments where I brought some of that well-being stuff and some of that like facilitator and organizer experience in and it wasn't always embraced but sometimes it was and I could see that a lot of people really valued that in terms of team building and in terms of collective well-being. Yeah. Yeah, it's really I think it's a really valuable contribution. Kind of coming back around to the campaigning side of things, one thing I'm kind of conscious of is that, you know, 5 or 10 years ago when a stream weather event happened, if people tried to talk about climate change, there was a lot of pushback you know, in the conservative press and other people saying, can't politicise this thing, people are losing their houses, stop talking about climate change. Whereas it feels like, you know, the public is in, at a different place now. We're recognising the frequency of these um, events and seeing it through the lens of climate change. Do you feel like it's informing action around climate change? Do you think there's ways to kind of feed that up or amplify the, the impact? For sure. I think... So I think it um, it comes out at different times, but I think in general the prevalence of these disasters and severity of them across the East Coast, across the continent, has just start, we really have reached a tipping point of understanding. I think people in a widespread way understand that this is climate change and what it looks like now. There are definitely people who don't want to talk about it at the time and Definitely in Lismore, it was hard. Like I tried to start a group way too soon. I wanted to start a flood survivors for climate action group and it just was too soon after the flood. At the same time, days after the event happened, some of us 
you know, were part of a rally um, when Scott Morrison was visiting our town, there would have had to have been 100 people at the Lismore Council Chambers demanding action on climate change and, you know, demanding action on housing and demanding a better response from our government at that time. And we definitely have seen a lot of media attention around climate and Lismore and there can always be more. It's easy for for things to go back as usual. I think it's upsetting. I really, you know, when the floodwaters go down, it's really easy for things to continue and for politicians and decision makers and corporations to forget that we have a responsibility to act. And and added to the fact that a lot of community members are just so exhausted and tired, so it is tricky to participate in political action and organising when you're so exhausted and just trying to meet your survival needs. So again, which is why it's really amazing to have organisers from outside of impacted areas paying attention to what they can do in an ethical way to amplify the voices of impacted communities. And and I think there's been quite a few opportunities for people in Lismore to have their voices amplified so far from different organisations from across the, the climate movement. I mean, that's solidarity, isn't it? It's like when you're under the pump dealing with the actual situation that people outside that, that direct impact are looking at how to make the story still be talked about and to have the lived experience being centred and pursuing justice. Three CR Community Radio, eight five five AM. You've been listening to Commons Conversations on Community Radio Three CR. You just heard an interview between Commons Librarian Holly Hammond and Maddie Rose Braddon, in which the latter discussed the nature of practical and effective solidarity in the context of climate fuel disasters. Today's program was produced by the Commons Social Change Library, a website containing over 1,000 resources for campaigners, which can be accessed for free at commonslibrary.org.